Does your dick bad? No. Let's dig it. I thought you said your dick did not bite. That is not my talk. Welcome to the Hollywood and Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. The hit cast offers a weekly look at Hollywood from a conservative point of view. Sick of media bias infecting Hollywood headlines? Tired of stars insulting your views? Hit has your back. Now, here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to episode 136 of the Hollywood and Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. This week we're talking with writer-director Brian Presley, the driving force behind The Great Alaskan Race. If you're hungry for inspirational fact-based stories of people fighting insurmountable odds, Brian has the movie just for you. You know, the old heckler's veto is growing stronger in America, and the usual suspects are whisper-quiet about it. We've seen this trend on college campuses for a few years now. It's captured beautifully in the new film No Safe Spaces, opening in Phoenix October 25th and before its nationwide rollout. Of course, the heckler's veto often involves leftists drowning out conservative speakers, either with drums or other musical instruments or just chanting or screaming or yelling anything, any kind of loud noise to make sure they're not heard. Now, at its worst, though, violence rears its oh-so-ugly head with these situations. And that's starting to happen when it comes to right-leaning art. Now, earlier this year, we, we saw a play called FBI Lovebirds Undercovers. It's by Fella McAleer, the conservative artist who often uses crowdfunding campaigns to source his material. Now, that play endured a violent threat against the theater where it was going to be staged. Well, the people behind the theater, and you can't really blame them, canceled the plans to rent out the space for McAleer's team. So, another venue was found in the nick of time, and the show did go on, but it was close for a while. Meanwhile, a few weeks later, little mini OC, the girl who makes fun of Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, had to shut down her shtick on social media when her family received threats of violence just for making fun of AOC. Now, much more recently, a screening of The Rise of Jordan Peterson is under attack. Sounds familiar again once you hear the details. A Portland church is supposed to be screening the film, and the pastor connected to this church got a note about it. The note essentially said, don't screen this movie. If not, well, here's what part of the note says about what happens next. Pray on it if you must. Do the right thing. As much as we joke about it, we really don't want to have to bring out the guillotine to fix society. Close quote. It's pretty chilling, right? Well, naturally, the mainstream media has done very, very little to cover the situation, par for the course when it comes to our biased press. And those brave Hollywood entertainers who are always talking about this or that when it comes to politics, you'd think they'd be raging against this attack on free speech. Well, you'd be wrong. They're quiet, too. So what happens next? More threats? Actual violence? Anything is possible. Anything. 
Are you registered to vote this year? <laughs> yep, I'm registered. Well, you should vote yes on Amendment 1. You know what that's about, right? Well, tell me more about it. So, right now, politicians make backroom deals to choose who they represent instead of us, the voters, choosing them. That's partisan gerrymandering. Wait, so they're choosing what's best for us. See, that's why we must vote yes on Amendment 1 on the November ballot. We must end partisan gerrymandering so that we can choose who represents us. And Amendment 1 will put new language taken from the 14th Amendment and the Voting Rights Act into the Virginia Constitution. Ah, I see. So for the first time in 400 years, Amendment 1 will allow citizens direct involvement in the process of drawing voting districts. And it'll add new civil rights protections, which sounds good to me. And that's not all. Voting yes on Amendment 1 will protect our right to vote. <laughs> well, I'm going to vote yes on Amendment 1 to put the power in our hands. Paid for by Fair Maps Virginia. And now here's the hit tweet of the week. This week's winner is Andy Richter. Conan O'Brien's goofy and lovable sidekick is a hard-charging partisan on social media. But his latest tweet, it's probably funnier than anything he said on this show in recent memory. Here we go. Even if you loathe Hillary Clinton, you have to admit that she doesn't just spout off willy-nilly. She has measured every word for the past 50 years. I Andy. Hillary just accused Tulsi Gabbard of being groomed by Russia to run as a third-party candidate in 2020 without evidence. Might want to go back in that tweet. You're listening to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. This week's hit tip of the week is Lanny. The 1974 film stars Dustin Hoffman as game-changing stand-up comedian Lenny Bruce. Bruce shattered comedy conventions again and again, and boy, did he pay the price for it over and over. Hoffman is exceptional here. You expect nothing less, but Valerie Perrine is just as good as Lenny's love interest. I think their on-screen chemistry and the, the, what they had to go up against is absolutely fascinating. Two great performances. The film watching it today connects on a number of different levels. It's excellent. The script is terrific. The performances are across the board outstanding. But also you realize that Lenny's battles are far from over. As you watch in the movie, police officers used to attend his stand-up shows ready for to pounce if he said the wrong words on stage. Today, well, social justice warriors serve that exact function, and they don't turn, they don't turn you over to the authorities. They just cancel your career. Lenny remains a terrific piece of art, a wonderful biography, and also a movie, even if you've seen it in the past, you need to watch it all over again. And good news, it's available right now on Amazon Prime. Political Spirits, the weekly conservative podcast that says the left and right should have a few drinks and talk. The only podcast that intersperses commentary with the sound of pouring alcohol. Host Franklin Rye, an experienced governmental affairs professional, offers analysis, commentary, and conservative solutions mixed in with amusing anecdotes about the sausage-making process. Ever wonder how democracy is like a Chevy Suburban? Did the Beatles really write conservative songs? How a Democrat politician is like the Archelians in Men in Black? Add to that occasional historical episodes with a patriotic bent, kept at 30 minutes or less, perfect for a commute, 
and you have a podcast recipe to serve conservatives, political news and opinion junkies, and those who just wonder how on earth we reached the point where so many in our country think patriotism is a dirty word. Please join us at Political Spirits, that's politicalspirits.libsyn.com, or on Twitter at Franklin Rye. A few weeks back, I invited John Fulton onto the podcast to talk about his videos as well as his writing. Well, John's back this week, but this time the conversation involves one of the very best 80s movies, Aliens. I don't think I'm going to get many arguments about that. This podcast recently explored Memory, the origins of Alien, the first film in that franchise, with director Alexandra Philippe. So it's only fitting to kind of let John go deeper into the sequel and find out more about it. I hope you enjoy my conversation with John Fulton about the 1986 film classic Aliens. Well, John, welcome back to the show. You know, you and I were having an email chat um, sort of behind the scenes, and you mentioned the movie Aliens. Now, an episode or two ago, I did a deep dive into Alien because of the movie, or, I'm sorry, Memory, The Origins of Alien came out, and I talked to the filmmaker. But obviously, Aliens is another wonderful film, a great sequel, and I think people fight back and forth which one is better. And I'm a little torn when I watch Aliens. I lean in that direction, but then I, when I watch the original film, I kind of go back to that and that side of the fight. So um, just maybe tell me a little briefly uh, your take on Aliens, uh, either when you first saw it, your initial reaction, why it maybe has sort of grown in your estimation over time. Just kind of, we'll start from there. Well, I think Aliens is, is interesting because a lot of people compare Alien to Aliens, but I'm not sure that – I think, I think James Cameron went out of his way to make sure that that didn't happen. He, uh, he knew already that he, he, was, he was super impressed by Ridley Scott's film and just wanted to kind of be a part of that world. And, uh, and when he went into it, he went into it knowing he was going to make something different. So I, I think they're both excellent films in different ways. If, if you want to go – just by sheer quality, I guess you could say that Alien probably has has the edge on Aliens, but it's almost like uh, Aliens was never really competing for that crown, so it, it works. Mm-hmm. However, I do think that Aliens is probably the one I like better just because I'm way more of a, a, a combat movie guy. I, I became interested in Alien because I was interested in Aliens, not the other way around. And uh, I discovered Aliens via my uh, kind of I – was, I was kind of trying to reverse engineer the things that I liked as artists do and uh, figure out why I liked them. And I would look up things like Halo or even bits and pieces of uh, – maybe not – no, no, Star Wars came before. But there was, there was various bits and pieces of science fiction and military science fiction, fiction especially – and uh, video games and, and uh, even even otherwise not really military sci-fi films like uh, uh, the whole thing where sci-fi kind of tilted a little bit away from ray guns towards bullets. And I was always I, I liked that direction. It felt very nice and gritty. But I wondered, when did that happen? When did that happen? And it, it didn't happen first with Aliens. It was a uh, uh, Blade Runner came out before that. And, uh, of course, the uh, Deckard's police special was a big part of that. So Ridley, even, is kind of part of this tilt in science fiction towards a more gritty atmosphere. Mm-hmm. But uh, Aliens is the one where it really just – he just set, the, he set the, uh, the gold standard for what a soldier 
in uh, a science fiction movie needed to be symbolized and the depth with the technical depth that it needed to have it it was just it's just an incredibly influential movie it's like you don't have to know it exists but once i did know it exists i couldn't stop seeing it it was everywhere yeah it really does make sense you know i've often cited alien for creating a creature that essentially influenced every other monster after it. And I don't think any of them really measured up. But you're right, Aliens is a different kind of movie, different presentation, and, and sort of puts things in a new perspective. And I think when you have a great movie, a landmark movie, and both these films qualify, they leave their mark, whether it's a direct ripoff, whether it's just being influential on other properties and other directors. It, it does change Hollywood. Uh, talk a little bit, maybe, are there even kind of researching the movie and, and a lot of the sort of the behind the scenes. Is there anything that maybe people don't know about aliens that you could recall something that we don't really talk about at first blush when the conversation comes up? Uh, I think one of the funniest things is just that, um, uh, that uh, uh, Sigourney Weaver didn't really know it was going to be an action movie <laughs> when she got on board. She ended up being one of the greatest, you know, symbolic you know, uh, action girls of the eighties. And she didn't even really know that that was what she was getting into. She kind of showed up on set. She, I was actually watching some of the behind the scenes earlier and she said she kind of, um, uh, she had a, has a bad habit of skipping stage directions. <laughs> and of course that was where all the details about, you know, she's cocking and loading the gun and doing all this stuff. And, uh, it, it took her a while to get used to that. Yeah. And what's more, she kind of liked it, though. So she could get into the character. She understood it. But she, she had this line where she said, I don't like that feeling where, you know, after you fire a few rounds, you suddenly feel like you're immortal. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought that was the greatest because it was like, anyway. Yeah, you know, uh, maybe that's one of the many reasons why the performance is so good, because she wasn't treating it like an action hero. She was a regular person forced uh, into irregular activity, you know. And I think if the movie were made today, there would be a lot of messaging and female empowerment. But no, she just was a great character, a wonderful hero, and that spoke for itself. And I, I kind of wish we can go back to that era of movies where you, you had strong male and female characters without all the, the finger wagging. I definitely agree. I definitely agree there. It's also especially interesting because there have been so many people who've tried to rip this movie off or even just the following. I mean, Cameron, Cameron is known for having strong female leads and, uh, and significant characters in his films. You know, you can compare Ripley to Sarah Connor in Ter- Terminator two and, and, uh, or even just in Terminator one and et cetera. And, um, uh, but one of the interesting things and especially interesting things about aliens is that Hollywood, this is the whole idea that you put a female in charge as the lead of an action movie is not a new thing. All right. I know they keep saying it's a new thing. It's not a new thing. It's 50 years old now, but it is very, very difficult because the action genre, like as it came about was very centered around men. So how do you make one? How do you make an action movie that's centered around a feminine theme? And aliens is one of the only ones I think that's actually managed to pull it off, which is flying colors. And that's one of the other things that makes it unique it's it's one of those things that makes it unique in that nobody else copies that and yet it's so inherently part of that movie and what makes it so great yeah and by the way she has strong maternal instincts in the movie her bond with Uh dude is one of the most beautiful elements and it doesn't it doesn't strip away her sexuality or her the fact that she's a woman it's it's actually makes it even richer uh real quickly 
Any thoughts on James Cameron? Obviously, he's the kind of guy who takes forever between projects. We're, we're seeing that now with the wait for the Avatar sequels. But anything that uh-huh. in your research about the film jumps out at you about his approach or why he was able to kind of pull off such a masterful film? I think he's a, he's a man with a, a singular vision. And he's also a perfectionist, both of which I think most artists can kind of identify with. But it's he, he basically makes what he wants to make when he wants to make it and how he wants to make it. And if he can't make it how he wants to make it, he waits until he can. You can see that with Avatar. He said, you know, he wrote that thing years and years and years before they had the technology, as he put it, to make it come to life in the way that he wanted it to. It was just impossible. But he had they had it with alien with the aliens. In fact, Aliens was written, um, was it, he, he made the Terminator, or he, he had written the Terminator and got it approved, then they had to delay production because uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was going to do Conan the Destroyer, and that's when Fox hired him to do a, to write Alien 2. And uh, that's, he, he wrote it, they said, if you go and you do a pretty good job with directing Terminator, then uh, maybe we'll consider letting you helm alien two. And he went, okay, fine. So he went, he did Terminator. It was great. And, uh, that's how he ended up in charge of that movie. But it's always been his modus operandi from the beginning to do stuff his way. And that naturally means that things just tend to take longer. I think. Yeah. Well, it's often worth the wait, even though I think a lot of people, uh, aren't fans of avatar. And I've got some real issues with it. There are some spectacular visuals and the action sequences are phenomenal. Uh, one last question. Anything else about aliens you can share that we haven't touched upon? Uh, other little bits of uh, information that through your research you found? Um, I think I always have thought particularly that the pulse rifle just, I mean, all it, this technical expertise and uh, depth is seen throughout the entire movie. But the pulse rifle in particular that the, the, the Marines carry is I think very much kind of like a little microcosm of that because it's, it interacts with all of the different characters. It has just enough technical details to make it feel real without having to bog us down with exposition. He has a scene where that prop is enabling the relationship between Ripley and Hicks. And I remember watching that scene and going, I'm getting all the gun nerd stuff I want out of this scene. And people who don't care about that are seeing Ripley and Hicks develop their relationship in a way that furthers the plot, in a way that furthers their emotional relationship, in a way that is funny and entertaining to watch. It was just there's so many things about that thing. When you hand someone a prop, you know, it's so easy to either underdo it or overdo it. And it ends up, you know pulling the story down and yet the pulse rifle as a construction of this movie enables the plot and doesn't draw too much attention to itself but it still enables all that um uh, that feeling of intensity when you have somebody like like if you had thrown a different kind of gun like maybe the stormtrooper blaster from star wars or something it's just not going to fit the tone it's going to change the entire tone of the action scenes it's going to change the entire tone of the relationships between characters and uh, it, it, the pulse rifle is shaped by the story, not shaping the story. Yeah, that's and a that's great just, point. It, it's just very, I'm just very impressed by that. And I think a movie that really stands the test of time, which Aliens clearly does, <laughs> has so many little moments like that. It's not just the alien attacks or the finale or the, 
uh, get away from her. You you know what? It's, yeah, yeah. It's this, the attention to detail on those quiet moments that makes it all the better. But uh, hey, John, yeah. thank you for touching base with this. I, I love this kind of this. I love kind of digging into movies that I grew up with and that people love. And there's a reason why they connect with us all over again. So I watched oh. it. Oh gosh, maybe maybe three or four weeks ago, and it was just as spectacular as I remembered. And uh, hey, maybe we'll have you on again to uh, dissect another classic film down the road. I'd love to. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks again, John. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to my daddy's podcast. You know, as a movie fan, I love hearing stories about filmmakers who refuse to let go of their dream. It could take years and years, sometimes even a decade, to make sure that that dream became a reality and to have it put on the screen at long last. That whole mission describes Brian Presley. He's an actor who was drawn to a remarkable true story about the first unofficial Iditarod. One brave Alaskan, played by Presley in this film, traveled 700 miles to the very worst of winter conditions to save a group of children stricken with diphtheria. It's a true story, an amazing one, too. It's also Heroism 101, an inspiring tale that the whole family can cheer. It's called The Great Alaskan Race, and it took Brian about a decade to bring it to the big screen. Now, Brian wrote the film, directed it, he also stars in it, and it's hitting theaters nationwide October 25th, but you can get a little bit of the inside scoop on the film right now. Please welcome writer-director Brian Presley to the HitCast. Well, Brian, the real story captured in your film is amazing. And I'm thinking, when did you first hear about it? And when did you decide, as someone, an actor, to decide to take it on in such a personal way? You're writing, you're directing, you're starring. Obviously, a, a major commitment. So just share a little bit about that part of the backstory here. Yeah, you know, I um, I came across the story uh, over nine years ago, and you know, for me, I feel um, um, my calling in this business is to tell stories of uh, inspiration, stories of hope, uh, stories that are true, uh, show true heroism. Um, you know, I like watching flawed people overcome unimaginable obstacles, um, and. Uh, uh, this story had all the elements, um, and I immediately knew that uh, I'm gonna. I, I want to tell the story. I set out, you know, to write it, um, and um, it it's definitely uh, had everybody in town tell me, no, there's no way uh, we're gonna let a first time uh, director direct a movie with dogs, kids, snow, wolves, period piece, and I'm for sure not gonna let a first time director be in front of the camera and. Um, I think I was just crazy enough to, to be the one out doing costume changes at 12,000 feet in the middle of winter, uh, but, um, on the back of a snowmobile, Yeah. but, uh, um, it, it definitely, uh, was not an easy task. And, um, but, uh, I was, when I knew, when I finally got the opportunity, um, I was ready. I had spent, you know, a good seven years, uh, prepping, and really identifying where I can do this, how I can do it, how I can do it for, you know, uh, not a studio level budget. Um, and, um, all the elements, the period piece elements, the animals, um, costume. And so I, to me, I love what I love about directing and filmmaking is just the, the, every little detail. Um, there's so many different details from beginning to end that, um, make a good movie. And, and so, um, and to me, I love that. I love, um, I remind director, 
being a director uh, reminds me of being a quarterback uh, of a football team. And, uh, you know, it's a combination of producing and acting and uh, you're in charge of, you know, the tone of the movie, the story and, you know, crafting the story. And, um, and you also need to know, you know, when to call audibles, if stuff isn't working and change stuff on the fly and adjust to your environment. And, um, and so, you know, I, uh, I, I, I couldn't be more thankful and blessed to be able to be a few days away from the movie coming out on 500 screens and, um, just very thankful. Yeah. Now, along the way, no one wants a movie like this to take that long to go from the idea to the, you know, to the silver screen. Were there sort of maybe steps you took along the way that maybe you thought, in retrospect, I'm glad it happened this way. Like I needed that work, I needed that time, or or yeah. along the way, I actually was able to glean more, learn more, prepare more for the eventual shoot. You know what the. Every step of the way made me prepared and and was all guided um, by a, a, a bigger hand. And so, um, I most probably the most thing I'm glad of why it took so long and and it, it went down the path that it went down is you know my little girl was able to play uh, my daughter in the movie and. Um, and so it was awesome being able to have that experience with my own daughter, um, uh, with her playing my daughter in the movie. And, um, you know, I, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to do it. I had looked at different, you know, girls and, but dealing with, you know, some, some of the parents of these kids. And I just knew that I, my little girl had it in her and we haven't really let her do many things in the industry. Um, just out of wanting her to be a kid, but you know, it was a few weeks up with me and, um, she was really wanting to do it. And, um, and she came in, I was afraid she might get up there and go, no, daddy, I don't want to say that or daddy, I don't want to, but that didn't happen. So, uh, she, she does a great job in the movie and, and that'll be an experience we'll be able to cherish for the rest of our lives. Oh gosh. Yeah. So that's an amazing way this thing's turned out. Now I understand obviously the movie is set in Alaska, but you shot in Colorado. Talk about dealing with the terrain. The temperatures are obviously significant. You've got to take care of the, the, the children on the set. You've got the dogs, you've got so many different factors. How do you prepare for a cold, cold weather shoot like this? Yeah, it, um, it definitely was preparation was key. I mean, we had, um, uh, pick Silverton, Colorado, which if you Silverton and Uray area is, you know, some of the, I mean, very similar terrain as Alaska and, but a lot more accessible. Um, and so the town of Silverton opened uh, their arms up to us. Uh, we utilized a lot of the people in that community for the movie. Uh, we kind of came in during a, uh, kind of a dead period, you know, post holidays and, um, and so it was a good thing for their community as well. And they had, a. um, but we were in the elements. I mean, the storm, I, I, a, we didn't have the budget to recreate snow, but I mean, I wanted the real elements. I wanted the movie to have a, a real feeling to it. And I wanted visually the disease of, diphtheria, of diphtheria, it suffocates the airways. And so I wanted the storm to mirror that, 
what the disease is doing is happening also to the mushers on the trail. And most of us know of like, okay, a blizzard or a snowstorm, but 80 below zero is a completely different animal. And so we shot in the elements and then we also added elements uh, in post. And, you know, I wanted the storm to have a, um, you know, to feel like a storm that we've never felt. And, you know, all the way down to the sound design of the storm. Um, you know, I wanted moments where we're just, it hits you right in the face and we're in it and we can feel it as the audience and moments where, you know, we just let the visual play and we, you know, pull the sound out. And so, you know, sound design, you know, we really spent a lot of time really uh, making sure that, that was correct. Now, a movie like this, you've got creative license, you got to tell a compelling story. So there are certain changes to the, the, the true tale that went on. Was there anything that happened in reality that you weren't able to kind of squeeze into the film that you wish you did or anything you can share like that? Because I'm sure there are lots of facets to the original tale. You know, I mean, looking at it today, there's nothing that I, I, I would, I, I mean, we ended up having too much that we had to trim down mm -hmm. uh, the movie. Uh, so there's really, um, if I could say I want to go back and redo one thing, there's not really anything I want to go back and redo. I, you know, I believe uh, that's the beauty of art is, you know, some of these scenes, you know, there's stuff that I had written that I go, you know what, let's just toss this out. Here's, I want you to talk to this little girl and she's desiring a mother and you're, you love this child and talk to her about the new dress you're making and her dad coming back and Togo's going to come back with the medicine. You know, we created a beautiful scene. And so, you know, part of an actor I've learned is you've got to learn to be in the moment and work moment to moment. And, you know, that really helped me as a director to be able to, um, um, allow myself to communicate with the actors on okay you know and trust your instincts and trust your instincts as a storyteller and and you know also know when to trust your actors and let them do what they do best i mean bring this character to life and, and make it your own and you know i welcome ideas i want ideas i want your uh, unless if you want to climb the wall in the scene let's try it i'll tell you if it doesn't work but yeah. you know yeah. i like actors that take risks and so, you know, I wanted to create that environment uh, for all my actors that, you know, this is a creative environment. and I want you to feel free to trust your instincts. You know, that's what's gotten me to where I'm at. And, um, and so I don't like working in confined creative, you know, mindsets or spaces. I like having that freedom. Even if it is a wrong choice, I'd rather you take a chance and take a risk. Mm -hmm. So... When I, was, um, when I was watching your film, I thought, this is old-fashioned. And I don't, I don't mean that in a negative way. I just felt like a, uh, a hero's journey, uh, a classic tale. And I feel like in, in entertainment, we're often drawn to the anti-heroes, the Walter Whites, the Tony Sopranos, the Suicide Squads, Joker, which came out a few weeks ago. Uh, right. Was part of the appeal of this project that this is, this is a heroic journey? This is something where you can watch with the family and get – get inspired from you you mentioned that that's sort of your overall mission as a filmmaker but talk about it sort of as 
I don't want to say an antidote, but maybe sort of a swimming against the Hollywood tide because you don't. I feel like this is a different kind of movie today, whereas maybe 20, 30 years ago, it would have been part of the the zeitgeist. Yeah, I I, I totally agree with you. I mean, for me, I um, you know it was, it's very easy for these types of stories uh, for the narrative to be about the event, um, and for me, um, like I said, I. I I like to focus storytelling on uh, character first, um, you know, event second. And, you know, where I can get on board, I can relate to this person, I can relate to the journey. I'm, you know, immediately sucked in because uh, I'm won over by um, the characters that I'm watching um, versus like, you know, my problem with like the Black Hawk Downs of the world, which is, a, you know, a very historical event. But, you know, I'm watching the movie and you kind of don't know who's who and they're trying to cover way too many storylines. Um, and so I never really get emotionally invested in, in one. And so it may be a bad example, but, um, you know, I, I believe there needs to be more of these types of stories. Um, you know, I like watching her- heroicism. Uh, come from the average Joe. Um, and I, um, uh, I, one of the coolest things that's about this whole journey and, you know, all the different test screenings and festivals is, you know, there seems to be, I mean, the response has been really amazing. And in the sense that people are like, we want more of these kinds of movies. I mean, I think there's a hunger for, these kinds of movies and what, you know, in my experience in trying to get it made, you know, the studios like unless Clint Eastwood's directing and Matt Damon starring, we're not making the movie, you know, it's a period piece. How do we sell this? And, um, you know, so for me, I believe, you know, there is a niche. We're not making art house movies, but we're not making Avengers. And, you know, I believe, um, there's a niche and there's a hunger for these types of movies. Yeah. And so, you know, that's our goal is to continue to uh, make them in the same breath. We're using the movie to impact causes that we believe are, are impacting lives, which is the whole message of the company and the message of the movie. Uh, you know, we have battle dogs, which is in Alaska. They're taking men and women who are veterans who suffer from severe PTSD taking them up into Alaska, associating them with sled dog, nature. They have this whole program uh, that they're saving lives. We have uh, Hope is Alive, which is a addiction recovery program um, that is changing lives. We have a Champions Club that is a special needs program uh, for special needs children, special needs families. It's in curriculum in churches and schools around the world. Uh, amazing program. We have a, a rescue mission right here in Beverly Hills that, you know, they have a huge Husky adoption effort going on right now because uh, Huskies, there's a large number similar to like pit bulls in shelters. And part of it's because these dogs need to be in the climate. People think, oh, I want a Husky. And, you know, Huskies are great dogs, but, you know, a Husky in 100 degree heat, you know, is, I mean, I'd want to pull my hair out too. Um, and so, um, so yeah, you know, we're trying to use the movie to give back and, and these, all these nonprofits are getting, you know, each 1% off the very top. And, um, 
where we have two, the Iditarod, the Bear Grease. We have, uh, you know, I wanted to get the dog sledding community behind us. You know, to me, the heart of it is a dog sledding movie and dog sledding still a, a very much a big part of people's livelihood. Um, these races, I mean, these dogs who run the Iditarod, I mean, they're professional athletes. I mean, this is what they're born to do. They love it. I mean, when you go to hook up a dog team, they're all jumping and going, put me in coach, put me in coach. And, you know, they truly are at peace when they're out in these elements. Um, and so, um, you know, we're trying to help bring light on what they're doing, the, the sport, um, and, um, you know, get eyeballs, who normally wouldn't be looking at that may want to go check it out. We have some of the top Iditarod mushers uh, coming down to the premiere. Um, so trying to make it a community. The movie's about community. And so we're trying to echo that as we go out into the marketplace where, you know, rallying communities behind the causes we're giving back, uh, behind the sport, behind the subject matter of the movie, because that's really the heart of the piece. Yeah. You were talking to a fellow director who was about to work with dogs on screen. You just went through that experience. What would you tell him or her as sort of uh, advice or things you learned along the way? You know, I had people tell me over the years, well, you need to have a movie trained dog. You need you need a movie trained dog and then you need to have a sled dog trained dog. And, you know, everybody's going to give you opinion. And for me, I had to go experience and find it myself. And, you know, I knew I needed dogs around kids, but you know, the dogs weren't going to be talking in the movie. Um, and so, um, you know, having the right mindsets, the right animal wrangler who, um, we had a a great gal who's out of Minnesota. It was her dogs. And, um, you know, she had the mindset and we treated her dogs like they were our kids. I mean, they all slept in the hotel with her. Um, and so, um, you know, approaches everything, um, and, you know, and prep and really knowing that we did a test shoot when I first was about to get it financed. I had to do a test shoot to show that a, I wanted to do one so that our camera team can know how we were going to work with the dogs, which we quickly realized that we need snowmobiles. And then we quickly realized we need people who know how to really drive these snowmobiles and we could put cameras in certain locations. Um, and snowmobiles were a part of our everyday uh, transpo. And, um, but I cut together a teaser from that little shoot, and that's how I got the movie greenlit. And, um, you know, but, but aside from it getting the movie greenlit, it was extremely helpful and helped us prep so that we were ready on the day. Mm-hmm. Um, on how to shoot them and we were ready with all the snowmobiles and we weren't figuring out then um and so you know just prep prep is key and and it, it took me years to identify okay how do i make this movie in 1925 but not have to go build nome alaska um how do i mean silverton's surrounded by mountains um I have a friend who is from one of the largest visual effects companies who started his own and, you know, he came in and did all of our visual effects. We had over 380 visual effects shots. Um, and, uh, one of the things was removing all those mountains so that it felt like Nome, Alaska, right on the edge of the coast, uh, in the Northern part of Alaska. Uh, so all those elements, you know, figuring out how you're going to go from A to Z, um, I mean, some of these elements I had in place four years prior to even making the movie. 
Um, and I knew I had, you know, there's a small window. You can make this movie in a year. Um, and it has to be in snow in winter and in those conditions. And so, you know, there would be years where we'd almost get there, but then we'd be too late. And, um, so everything happens for a reason, I believe. And, um, and it all aligned, uh, in the end and, um, you know, persistence pays off and, and, um, you know, in this business, like I tell young people, you know, we're going around talking to different schools and, um, you know, you can't take no for an answer and passion, uh, is what's gotten me through, um, you know, the ups and downs of this career and, uh, passion for storytelling and making these kinds of movies, uh, that I believe, um, you know, have, I mean, it's been really fun to watch families come into the theater and into churches to watch this movie and the kids love it just as much as the parents. Oh, and, yeah. You know, I have three kids and there's not many movies out there today that you can go see with your kids where kids love it just as much as the parents. Um, well, you, you and so you've, you've done just that here. I, I, Brian, I have one last question. You know, yeah. I, I mentioned before sort of the old fashioned element of this. Again, I, I say it as a positive. It also reminded me there's such a conversation going on in the culture about masculinity and what it means to be a man and toxic masculinity. And I thought your character is is old school he doesn't talk a lot he doesn't share a lot he he can, his actions speak for him is any any thoughts about that element of the film and sort of as as part of the, the the ongoing conversation we're having because he's not a 21st century guy by any stretch of the imagination but he, he's he's and I, getting the job i think you know heroes don't need to tell you they're heroes and um people who are strong don't need to tell you they're strong and I, um, I, I like subtlety. I like, um, and, but I also like flawed human beings. I mean, I wanted to show this isn't a perfect person. Uh, here's a man who, yeah, tragedy hit. Um, and here's a hardened man who now left in, in that, those days, you know, a man who's working in the mines and he's off working. Now he's left also doing that and raising a little girl and, you know, the little girl's starving for, you can see female affection and, um, you know, all these little layers that I wanted that I believe you can relate to today. And, and that also make him human. So when he does the unimaginable, you know, it also is a reminder that, you know, our human nature can go much further than what our mind says we can do. And, you know, that will to survive, that will to, and, you know, there's no mountain if you ask any parent, if you're going to go save your children, there's no mountain you wouldn't cross. Yeah. Uh, there's, I mean, 80 below zero, let's go um, <laughs> to save your children. And, you know, I think that drive, too, is what really um, got him through um, those times where, you know, I mean, the odds, when you look at science, they shouldn't have made it. That serum never should have made it. Um, and so you, it, it's a true miracle story. And, but, you know, I like, I wanted to create that character driven arc. Um, so that, you know, sometimes it takes, uh, when we're in ruts in life and, you know, I speak from my own experience, you know, things to wake us up and, uh, remember that, you know, we're not promised tomorrow and you gotta, you know, live life and, um, life's not always fair and, you know, but, um, how you face your obstacles and your enemies is what ultimately defines you. And, you know, 
Um, you're going to get punched, but you got to get up and keep punching um, and, and fight back. And so, you know, I think those things are all relatable elements in the movie that I think whether you're 1925 or you're 2019, you know, especially the adult audience can relate to. Oh, yeah. And, and by the way, I mean, you, you went through a very different experience than than this story, but just the battle, uphill battle, to get this made is is amazing, and congratulations on that. And again, the movie is The Great Alaskan Race. It's hitting theaters everywhere October 25th. Brian, thank you for joining the HitCast. Congratulations on the film. And if you really want an old-fashioned movie in the very best sense of the word that inspires and entertains, is good for the whole family, here you go. It's right here. So go check it out. Pleasure to have you on the show, Brian, and I'm sure we'll be talking down the road again. Yeah, thank you for having me, and uh, thanks for your support on the film. Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out HollywoodandToto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter at HollywoodandToto. And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. It's a great time to get a great deal on a new car when you get approved for an auto loan from PenFed. Our powered by True Car rates are as low as 1.39% APR on new vehicles. Finance for a longer term to lower your monthly bill, plus take up to 60 days to schedule your first payment. Join PenFed, and together, we'll keep you moving forward. Anyone can apply. Visit PenFed.org auto or call 1-800-247-5626. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for, and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switch to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face and done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call.